You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Hallelujah. Tonight I want to minister to you on not letting up. Can you say that with me? I'm not going to let up. And I'm going to deal with it with the area of faith, but also with love. Because we can't let up on our love as well as we can't let up on our faith. And when I say that, a lot of people, they let up before their dreams happen, let up before they achieve what their goals are, their desires. And God wants you to know tonight not to let up. Keep pursuing it until your faith completely destroys the barriers in your life. Keep believing God until the sickness is completely gone. Keep believing until your family and friends are saved. Don't let up. I want you to turn with me, if you would, over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. I want to read this story. And as we read this, I'm going to show you some truth here. I'm going to show you some myths we want to put out of your thinking tonight and show you some things in the Word. Look what it says. And when they had come down to the, uh, come, come to, to the multitudes, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is an epileptic. Now that, if you look at the little cross-reference, it means uh, moonstruck. And it's really a reference to demonic oppression. And suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire, often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you that if you had faith as a mustard seed, you will say unto this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting. I know it's a very familiar text, but I wanted to start with, this is a very, very important teaching in the Scripture because it removes a myth that has been in the church for a long, long time. And many of you probably be familiar with the one I mentioned it to you. It's this attitude that if it's God's will, it always happens. And if it didn't happen, it must not have been God's will because if it was God's will, it would have happened. It's a myth. It was God's will that Jesus' own disciples would have the authority to cast out every demon out of every person. Now, keep, keep, keep this in mind. It takes faith to cast out a devil, and it takes a willing vessel for the demon to come out. In other words, if somebody's demon-possessed and they don't want to be delivered, you cannot deliver them by the name of Jesus. They have to be willing. God will never go against your will. He'll let you go to hell if you want. He will never go against your will. But in this case, the father obviously desired that his young boy would be delivered. The young boy, instead of falling into the fire and falling into the water, trying to commit suicide, obviously is demonic. The little boy was meant to climb trees and to go for walks and picnics, but the devil had, chained, had oppressed him. So he wanted, and if you read some of the other accounts of the same story, uh, Jesus 
told the man, the man came to Jesus and said, if you can help, help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to the one who believes. It's not the way that I would minister to somebody, but it's Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and the man cried out, I believe. And that's all Jesus needed to deliver this man his child. But understand this. Here is God's disciples. He's already given them authority over every demonic spirit. And he's told them to go out and deliver people by the name of Jesus. And so they're out doing what Jesus did, but yet they're unsuccessful. Yet when Jesus does it, he receives and receives the blessing. He tells them the problem isn't anything. It isn't, it wasn't God's will. It was God's will, but you wavered in your faith. And I don't think we stress that or not, that it is God's will that every person be healed. It is God's will that every person get saved. It is God's will that every person prosper. It is God's will that God removes the mountains in your life. It is God's will. Can you say amen? But it's going to take a considerable amount of, of, of faith to do that in your life because without it, you're going to waver when the pressure gets on. And you're going to miss it. Amen? And so I wanted, you, I wanted to start with this because I believe one of the reasons why individuals don't see the will of God in their life is that either by the fear of a past failure, the traditions of some church that were unbiblical that were still grounded inside of them, or just a fear that what if it doesn't work? Keeps most people outside of the will of God from receiving the best that God has for them. I think the problem is there's trouble in receiving. Some people come to church and they hear the word and go, I love it, praise God. But they don't always receive it. Because when you receive the word, you submit to the word and you are controlled over the word, or let me say it this way, you submit to it and you are in full direction of the word when you receive it. But some people don't do that. And let me give you an antidote to this. In fact, I was in prayer and I was meditating on the verse, Mark, or Hebrews eleven six. Which says, without faith it is impossible to please God. We must believe that he is God and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. And I asked the Lord this question. I said, why do we have to diligently seek you? I said, you answer my prayers not because of me, but because of what Jesus did. What's the diligent part for? And the Lord told, this to me, told me this. He said, it's because you need to get it from your head to your heart. And if you don't seek me with all your heart, you'll have it in your head, but you won't have that heart faith. And it's only heart faith that'll heal you. It's only heart faith that'll change your marriage. It's only heart faith that'll do that. And I begin to realize that's why in Scripture it condemns a lukewarm church. Why? Because they're neither cold or hot. If you're cold, you're desperate. If you're hot... You have been diligently seeking God just like the guy that is cold. Amen? He's desperate. Barnabas was healed because he was desperate. He needed a word from the Lord, and he got a word from the Lord, and he was healed. 
One of my favorite verses is found in Proverbs 4, verse 20 to 21. It says this. It says, attend to my word. I like that. And you're here tonight doing that. Amen? He said, hearken your ear to my sayings and do not let, watch this, do not let them depart from your eyes. You better be reading your Bible. Amen? And keep them in the midst of your heart. And then he says this, their life to those who find them. If you find them, you're looking. Amen? And here's a good one if you're sick. Health to all your flesh. Right here. Say amen, everybody. You want God's health plan? Get into his word. His word brings health to your body. Amen? It brings health to your finances. It brings health to your marriage. It brings health to everything in your life. Say amen, everybody. But what I have discerned, and I've seen this with people, is many people, they come to me and say, Pastor, I've been praying about this, and God's just not speaking to me. Listen, you've got to be careful when you say that, because when he's not speaking to you, it's probably because you haven't listened to what he's already said. Don't shout me down, because I'm preaching right. In other words, people want God to give them a, a, a brand new word when he's already given them an old one that's alive and active and powerful. And he will speak to you about that word, but he's not going to get rid of the original. And that's where we see God, and that's how you know God in a very special way. And remember the verse, Psalms 107. It said, I sent my word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. Now, think about what he's saying. He's saying, hey, when my people were in trouble, I spoke a prophetic word to them. When my people were struggling, my prophet would speak to them. When people needed salvation, my son came and spoke salvation to them. In other words, my word has already been sent. And it was sent to heal you. It was sent to prosper you. It was sent to deliver you. It was sent. It's already sent. Now, there's a truth here I want you to see. Isaiah 55, 11 says this. He says, once my word goes out of my mouth, he says, it will not return void. Oh, glory to God. In other words, it's, 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 God's not going to take it back until it does what God told it to do. Amen? It won't return void, but it'll accomplish that which I, uh, uh, pl what I'm pleased to. And then it says this. Oh, glory. I can't help but I'm getting excited about this. It'll prosper in the thing in which I sent it. In other words, it's going to prosper in your marriage. It's going to prosper in your wallet. It's going to prosper in your health. It's going to prosper in your children. It's going to prosper in whatever area that I sent it to be in. If you get that word inside of you, praise God, it's going to cause it to prosper. It's going to cause it to grow. It's going to cause it to go over the top. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. I know it's Wednesday night. I'm not supposed to get that excited, but I can't preach this without getting excited. It's his word. I know more about God now because I, I make this my foundation. 
And then when God starts to speak to me, how do I know if it's me? I know by his word because he'll never deny his word. It'll always fit in with the word. If it doesn't, it's probably bad pizza. <laughs> Say amen. So whatever you're struggling with tonight, don't let up. There's a word in, this, in these scriptures for every conceivable problem in your life, whether it's a mountain of demonic oppression, whether it's a mountain of marriage issues, it's all in this word tonight. And here's what, here's what we got to do. What we need to do is stop standing around and do something. Amen. We got to stop standing around and do something. You remember the, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, it, it, he talks about how the Lord caught him up into this spirit, and he was in the valley of dry bones. Dry bones are things that are dead, right? And it says in the text then that as he looked around and saw it, the Lord spoke to him and says, can these bones live? And the prophet answered, you know, Lord. And you know what the Lord said at that point, a moment? He said, prophesy to these dry bones, let them hear the word of the Lord. In other words, I want you to take my word, my scripture, and I want you to speak to what is dead so that I can bring it, make it alive. I want you to speak to that dead marriage and make it alive. Speak to that dead, come on, that cancer. And, oh, whoo, glory to God. You got to release it. You got to receive it and then release it. Receive it and then release it. Receive it and release it. Receive it and release it. It's that it's simple. But we don't always do that. We go, oh, it looks impossible. Not if God's word says it's not impossible. And Ezekiel was taught that. In other words, don't just stand there. Do something. Say something. Speak the word. And submit and comply to my word. And my word is going to change your life. You know, in a church for years, I've seen so many marriage problems that can be solved so simple if we would just get the word inside of us, in the relationship, it will prosper every time. Every time. Guys, let me pick on you first. The Bible says, this is Ephesians 5, that when you love your wife... You love her like your body. And if you love your wife like your body, you love yourself. Here's the crazy thing about it. I want you to see this. It's wrong to love yourself, but it's right to love yourself through your wife. Because when you love your wife like it's you, whoo, you're going to like who you are. And you know why guys are so grumpy? Because they don't like who they are. That's why they badmouth their wives. That's why they yell at their wives. That's why they talk down their wives. They, they're not happy with themselves. But as soon as you start doing what the Word says and loving your wife like your own body, you cherish it. You do those reps. Come on. <clears throat> you eat that steak because somehow you think that's going to help you. Praise God. And it says you treat your wife in the same way, your marriage will get better. And then, here, ladies, I can't leave you out. Ephesians 5 says that just as Christ is the head of the church, 
The husband is the head over his wife, and she's to submit to him in everything. Of course, not in sinning. Well, I'm not going to receive that, Pastor, and forget it. You have no idea what kind of jerk I've been married to. This is my third husband. He t- I've got my separate account. I'm not going to mess with that. Praise God. See, you won't receive the word because of the fear of that word bringing pain and suffering in your life. And I want to tell you right now, it'll never bring pain and suffering in your life. It'll bring victory in your life. It'll bring breakthrough in your life. But you got to be willing to receive it and apply it, receive it and apply it, receive it. You know why me and my wife have been married for 50 years? Because she's always given to me and I'm always given to her. I told her, baby, you can have anything you want in your life because Jesus will give me anything that I want in my life as long as it's good for me as long as it's win God's will for me. Hallelujah. So when you do that, that word will come alive and you will thrive in a very special way in that relationship. It's all about receiving. The question is, what are we receiving? One of my favorite verses up there on on the wall there, that whatever you put your hand to do shall prosper. But we always read that verse, and we don't read the preceding verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the path of the sinner, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and shall bear fruit in his season, and his leaf will not wither, and whatever he puts his hand to do shall prosper. And everyone said amen and amen and amen. (laughs) Now, this is really cool because the very beginning of the psalm tells us he's not receiving what the world is dishing out. He's receiving what God's Word says. That's what he's meditating on. He's not meditating on stocks. He's not meditating on the economy. He's not meditating on the political stand in our day. He's meditating on the Word of God, and that Word inside of him will make him a tree of life. And whatever he touches will prosper. Hallelujah. All about receiving from the Lord. Say it with me, I'm going to receive tonight. It may be hard. I may have fears that make me hesitate. But I'm going to step through the fears. I'm going to fully receive the word. And Lord, when I receive it, I'm going to comply to it. And I'm going to submit to it, not just obey it. I'm going to submit to it with a positive attitude in my life. I think we should give God praise right now. That would be cool. Now, if you remember this, I had mentioned it several weeks ago, the difference between forgiveness and remission of sins. Remember at Pentecost when everyone, they asked Peter, what must I do to get saved? He says... I want you to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Not the forgiveness, but the remission of sins. And we know that we're also forgiven. But the difference is remission or forgiveness is not being punished for the wrong that you do. Remission is paying the price for your restoration. 
In other words, God not only provides for us no punishment, he provided for us on the cross the restitution, the resources spiritually to be restored in any area in your life. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's the loss of a relationship, whether it's the loss of finances, whatever it is in, in salvation, because of the, rest, uh, the remission of sins, a price has been paid for your restoration. Now, I'm going to go heavy here. Is that, all right? is that all right if I go heavy here? Good to do it anyway, so say amen. I want to show you one of the things here because a lot of people, they don't let up on faith, but they let up on love. And if you let up on love, your faith won't work. In other words, if I let up in love, the things that I'm believing for will not manifest. You have to keep loving people, no matter how difficult it is. I know we all want to write a book about this. Amen. Write this down, and I'll just quote this to you, but this is Matthew 18. Peter goes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And Jesus said seven times 70, which is 490 times. And if you look at some of the other gospels about that, it was in a day. Which basically is what he's saying is you're to forgive without limit. Say without limit. Now, this is powerful because he this is one of the most powerful parables he's ever taught. In the parable, he says this. He says, therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who is settling his accounts with his servants. And as he's settling the accounts with his servants, a servant is brought to him that owes him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, to give you how much that is right now today, in this, the market today, it's $10 million. And, he, and it says, and the servant did not have means to pay for it. So the scripture says that, that the master or the king commanded then that he would be sold, him, his wife, his children, everything that he has to pay off the debt. And the servant bowing down on his knees before the master. He says, Master, Master, have patience with me. I will pay it all. And the Bible says that the master had compassion and released him and forgave him of all of his debt. Everything paid for now, I want you to understand something. This is $10 million. $10 million. What did he spend the $10 million on? Probably a vacation home on the beach. Probably a new chariot and horse. Probably hired some new servants. Probably added an expansion to his home. So notice the debt that he had, God did not require him, because it's a remission of sins, to pay the debt that he owed. Say amen, everybody. But the story goes on that afterwards he left and found a fellow servant 
who owed him 100 denarius. You know what that 100 denarius is in today's market? It's, it's 11,777.773 cents at $8 an hour. Three months worth of work. In comparison to the 10 million that he already owes, that the master can't cancel the debt on. So he finds this guy, and he grabs him, and he chokes him, and says, pay me what you owe me. And here's what the, the fellow servant does, same thing that he said to his, his master. He said, have patience with me, I'll pay it all. But he would not. And he handed him over to the prison until he paid all that he owed. And then, here's the good part, it's like in church. All the other servants heard about this. And they went and told the master of what he had done. And the master calls him in and says to him, You wicked servant! I forgave all your debt. How much more should have you had compassion on your fellow servant? Even as I had pity on you. And then it says, and the master was angry, and he took the man and gave him to the torturers until he paid the last cent. And then this is the bar that grabs me. Whew. And then Jesus says, so is my heavenly father. If you do not forgive your brother, from the heart my father will do to you what the king did to his servant I don't know about you that's heavy I said that's heavy that's heavy a lot of people have a problem with this. They say well pastor when God forgives me he blots out my transgressions uh, he don't remember them anymore remember God doesn't forget anything that doesn't mean that God has forgotten you, your sins it means he's not going to hold them accountable to you. We know that from Scripture because he forgave Peter, but yet he puts in Scripture the sin that Peter did. So obviously he hasn't forgot it. But he won't hold it against you. Here's the part I want you to see. Why is it we don't walk in love? It's really a case of unbelief. Unforgiveness is nothing more than a bad case of unbelief. That's all it is. He said, what do you mean? Why is it that people don't forgive another person? The young woman gets married to a young man. They have five children. The young man starts to have a midlife crisis, runs off with a lady on his job, leaves his wife with five kids, and the woman can't forgive him. She says, he's ruined my life. I will never have my dreams come to pass. I'll never be able to accomplish what, what I felt God wanted me to do. He has completely ruined my life. Number one, that is not true. The remission of sin gives you the power of restoration. God can restore and give you a better marriage the second time. God can give you a breakthrough that you can't. In other words, that is unbelief to think that, you, that what has been taken from you can't 
be restored. That's where the fear comes in. That's where the jealousy comes in. That's where the envy comes in, is when you start to think that what man can do to you is greater than what God's love can do to you. And God has forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And when I'm forgiven other people, I'm opening the door for the blessing of God. I'm opening the door for breakthrough. I'm opening the door for God's grace and mercy in my life. But I've got to have faith in my love towards other people, which means I have to forgive other people. I said I have to forgive other people in my life. No matter how hard they've stuck that knife in my back, I can't believe, and I don't believe, that what people do to you is greater than God's love towards them. That what God has paid the price on the cross can restore me from any evils that people do in my life. And I can, and listen, God's not asking you to forgive until you've been forgiven. Once you've been forgiven, you have what it takes. I want you to write this down, and this is a powerful statement. Can you afford to forgive everyone? Can you afford it? Can you afford to forgive everyone in your life that has done you wrong, taken money from you, robbed you of your health because of the stress? Can you afford to forgive them? The man that was forgiven of the $10 million could afford the $11,000. Now, if you, you see, if you're not thinking right, you're self-righteous. Do you understand that we are sinners? And even in your best day, you are a sinner. But God has forgiven you of all your sins, and God has graced you to such a degree that you can afford to be abused. You can afford to have people say things bad about you. You can afford to have this problem and that problem. You can afford to be misunderstood. You can afford to be lied about. You can, be aff you can afford to have people write nasty articles about you on Facebook. You can afford to have people Twitter you to tweak you out. You can afford it. Because we've been forgiven so much. Hallelujah. Now, most people say, well, yeah, well, can I afford not to forgive? No, not according to Scripture. And I want to be very honest with you about this. You will never fulfill your destiny without forgiveness. Never, 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 never. You'll never fulfill your destiny. Unforgiveness will block the blessings of God. I don't care how great faith you think you have. Unforgiveness will block the blessing of God in your life. If you don't believe that, when you get to heaven, ask Joseph about it. Joseph was betrayed by his own brothers. They wanted to kill him. One for his younger brother, he would have been killed. They put him in a pit after beating him up, sold him into slavery. He became a slave when he was a free man all those years. And even in that situation where God began to prosper, you remember the story of Potiphar's wife? She tried to seduce him. He resisted, did the right thing. And you know how it goes with the woman. She said, he touched me, whatever. He gets thrown in jail. He didn't do anything. 
Even in jail, he's prospered. But even in jail, he was betrayed. The cupbearer was supposed to, to, to mention it to the Pharaoh if he got out to give him some favor, but he had forgot about Daniel for two years. And you find no reference in Scripture where, where Joseph was saying, you know, I've had a rough time, man. I was raised in a great family, but my brothers hated my guts. They threw him in the pit, and they did that. And I know he wasn't in unforgiveness. You know why? Because when God promoted him to prime minister of Egypt, he had the power to have Potiphar's wife killed, or at the very least thrown into jail. He could have said, woman, I spent years in jail because of you. You're going in now. He didn't do it. He could have thrown his brothers in jail, but he didn't. Instead, he took his wealth and provided for those that stabbed him in the back. No revenge. Only love. And he's the one that originally got the revelation that all things work together for those that love God and are called according to his spirit. That revelation, that's when it was, that's when they saw it in scripture. That's when he said, I've discerned that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's when the revelation came. Hallelujah. So when he walked in, when he loved God, he loved everyone else too. <clears throat> he loved his brothers. He loved his wife. He loved his children. He loved everybody. He just kept forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. See, I used to struggle with this because I would think that the wrong done to me couldn't altered my life but it doesn't only if you keep holding on to it God is the promoter of great things amen let me close with this Ephesians 4.32 says be kind one to another tender hearted forgiving even as God in Christ forgave us Aren't you glad that God loved you when you were unlovable? Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on you when you had given up on yourself? Aren't you glad that Jesus came before you ever decided to walk the altars and give your life to Christ? Aren't you glad that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus before you were ever born to die for sins that you had not even asked to be forgiven of yet, that you would have restoration, that you would be restored? Aren't you glad, aren't you glad that God loves us so much? Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.